0: I just want to see you. The lights are a little brighter on me or whatever. Did you have a good Thanksgiving? That's great. My name is Carrie. If you haven't met me yet, please find your way to me afterwards somehow. I got called out for not having a name tag on by two or three people this morning. Thanks for doing the name tag thing. For people new like Jeremy and I, it really helps. Plus, you just don't want to admit it. There's a lot of people you don't know, too, that you really need to know their names, right? So it helps you as well. So thanks for doing that every week. this was a good Thanksgiving, even though I was away from my family, the majority of my family. My son Ryan was uh, with me here, as well as my oldest niece, Jennifer, who's from San Diego. And uh, we had a nice Thanksgiving at the uh, Axine's. They opened up their home to us and several others, so that was pretty cool. And, uh, you know, it's a little different, though, out here with this whole Thanksgiving deal, a little different traditions. Normally I would be going to uh, uh, my mother-in-law's house, and we all gather there in southern Indiana is where she lives and uh you know a little chilly and cold and those kinds of things you know i walk out for uh, the axene's thanksgiving and all 10 of their cousins were in the swimming pool and i'm like this is just different just different no i trust you had a good thanksgiving as well and if your family from out of town and maybe hung over for the sunday that's great it's good to have you here today uh you're just part of the church family I always think it's sort of the Sunday after, there's a couple of unique Sundays. The Sunday after Thanksgiving and the Sunday after Christmas are just a little bit more, I don't know, warm, mellow, that kind of deal. So just sort of pull yourself around the campfire here and we're just going to spend some time looking at God's word and what he wants for us to hear. And uh, then we're going to be able to head towards the communion table uh, for the latter part of our worship time together. After uh, our Thanksgiving meal, my son, typical of my son, he always wants to be doing something. So he was like, well, Dad, let's go see a movie. And I'm like, you know, I've yet to see a movie in Temecula Valley. I'll go see a movie, right? So Ryan and Jennifer and I, we took off to see a movie. And I'm thinking, you know, we could pick some nice, friendly family movie that has some energy, some humor to it, right? Well, whatever movie it was, he said, Dad, I, I... I just sort of, because he's a film major, I just go with the flow, right? And so I'm like, you pick. And so he picked a movie he thought would get some awards maybe and that kind of thing, and that's cool. But this was a really, really intense movie for two and a half hours. 12 Years a Slave. Have you heard about this movie? Anybody in this room saw 12 Years a Slave? If you go see it, it's a good movie. It's intense. And it's one of those movies that it just just breaks your heart. It's actually based on a true story, which I like those kinds of movies, but it was a true story about uh, a free man in the North that got sold into slavery in the South, and he was a slave for 12 years. And um, his whole fight with that whole battle and some of the things that happened with slaves, and you're like, really? Did this happen in America and that kind of deal? And, and some of the whippings and, and uh, abuse that went on, and then you have the uh, you know, just the scenes of hard labor in the cotton fields and the sugar cane fields and then you got the masters and all those going on. And, you know, there's part of me, there's part there's some moments in this are sort of like the passion of the Christ with some of the whippings going on and you're like, oh, I can't deal with that. Do I need to see that really? And I'm thinking, Lord, why am I in this movie on a Thanksgiving? Well, I always try to move my way to spiritual thinking as things. And as I thought through what I was seeing before me in this movie, it began to dawn on me that there's something that just rises up in your spirit when you see injustice done and when you see people in bondage and you're just wanting to help them out. You ever been there? Break free from these chains of slavery. Break free to be who God called you to be, not under this oppression. And I was thinking on Thanksgiving Day, one of the most grateful things that you and I should be thankful for is the freedom that Christ has brought us to break the chains. Maybe not of a slavery in that kind of manner, of oppression, but the slavery of sin. You know, Scripture says that Christ has set us free, and we are to be free. But then it says, I think it says it in Galatians, do not become burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And what's that yoke of slavery? The sins that so easily entangle us. And I was thinking even as I came here today to share on this passage and this incredible story that's very familiar to all of us of Jesus transforming and changing a man's life is that there are many of us who live in bondage and in slavery week in and week out. Or maybe we have friends who live in bondage and slavery week in and week out. And we just have incredible news to let people know that they can be free. And for some people, it's not just 12 years of slavery or 12 years of being a slave, or addicted to something, or some, you know, maybe even secret hidden sin—not even some knowable kind of sin—but it can be a lifetime that people have lived that way. But we offer the message of hope through Christ, and as we gather around the Lord's table later, it's through Jesus and remembrance of Him and Him alone, because He is the one who came to set captives free. And so we have great news to rejoice in on this Thanksgiving Sunday following Thanksgiving, I don't know if which one's called Thanksgiving Sunday, the one before, the one after, but as we've been in this spirit of just gratefulness. May we come today to God's word to be grateful for all that Jesus has done and can do in our lives and in our friends' lives. Well, with that, the story I want to go to is found in Mark chapter 2. If you have your scriptures, turned there. If not, we'll just sort of uh, depict it and carry along. Some of you are very familiar with this story. If you're too familiar with this story, I want to encourage you to sort of kick back and rethink through it. Rethink through it in a fresh manner. Because a lot of times we just become too familiar with things and we begin to think, oh, I've heard that, been there, done that, you know, you know got, got, all the, got all the trappings from it. Uh, but no, I want you to think afresh of this story as it relates to the ministry that Jesus did. Because what we're looking at today is the ministry that God calls us to do and the ministry that he brings into our lives for us to be not only set free from sin, but to set other people free from sin and have transformation happen. So here's the story, the story of Jesus and the paralyzed man of when he was let down through the roof, if you recall that story, and it's found in Mark chapter 2. And I want you to think afresh of the scene and what was happening at the time. Now, this is Mark chapter 2, so it's an early on story, at least for the gospel writer in Mark. And uh, we looked at last week that Jesus, some of the first words he said was, the kingdom is near, repent and believe. So my kingdom, my presence, my reign, my rule is here. Repent, turn from the direction you're going and turn this other way. And so then he inaugurated his ministry by stepping out and being able um, to see people's lives changed and transformed as he began to proclaim the kingdom's message. Now, Jesus, he worked with his earthly father, Joseph, in a carpentry shop for his younger years. When he was 30, he began his earthly ministry. It only lasted for three years before he went to the cross, and then he was raised from the grave and ascended to the heavens. So he has a short period of time that he does ministry. But picture this, Jesus, just the Nazareth boy, was hanging around, and he had a hometown called Capernaum. So he had moved around, but Capernaum—does anybody know where Capernaum is? Capernaum is on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. So if you looked at a picture of Israel, you have the Sea of Galilee, then you have the Dead Sea—that I mean, the Jordan River that ends up in the Dead Sea because there's no outlet to the Dead Sea; it's a very salt basin kind of thing. And then you have Jerusalem in there, and of course where Nazareth is, and Bethlehem, right? It's all along the Mediterranean Sea. But Capernaum was at the north part of the Sea of Galilee. If you ever get a chance, go there, just a beautiful place. And this was sort of, uh, I don't know, maybe it was like Thanksgiving time, when everybody sort of comes back around home. And so here's Jesus, hometown boy, been hanging around there. He'd started, inaugurated his ministry some things had started happening, and then they were very excited about him coming back to their town. So here we are in, in Mark chapter uh, 2. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So they start gathering, buzz, 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 word gets around, Jesus is coming back, Jesus is here, he's home, he's he's about, oh, heard a lot about him they're sort of checking him out because you know what is this thing that he's starting to do and who he's claiming to be so many gathered that there was no room left not even outside the door and he preached the word to them now they didn't like oh let's all go to the the church building with the steeple in Capernaum no you didn't have them okay now, they had synagogues and other areas of public gathering, but a lot of times you would just gather in a home, like thinking about your home. Maybe it's small, maybe it's large. I tell you what, if your house was small this morning, it's probably still bigger than what this house was. Okay? Small places, and they would pack them in. So here's the owner of the house somewhere. I don't know, maybe he's sitting over in the corner. There's some teachers of the law there. There's some other people from around the hometown, maybe some relatives. They're packed in, and they're listening to Jesus, just like I'm standing in front of you, teach All right, he'd open up the scrolls, he'd talk about the Old Testament. He was teaching them what? The message we focused on, the message of the full kingdom of God. I wish I knew what his message was that day. There's so many little details in scripture behind the stories. You want to do the backdrop behind the stories and know what's going on? We're going to see that in several places here. I'm scratching my head what's going on. Well, we don't know what he was teaching on, but he was there teaching, and they were just backed in, leaning in listening to Jesus, not just in the room, packed to the walls, but through the windows, people looking in, outside the door, so much so that people couldn't even really get close. And Jesus didn't have some lapel mic like this, you know, to be able to project his voice. Now he was probably loud and strong. Now, why do I go into some of these details? I think this is very important. When you read scripture, you need to paint as many details or even imagine details as possible Because it helps Jesus, it helps all of Scripture become more real to you. Because what we're reading here is not, again, a legend or some myth or some nice fictitious story. This really happened, and it really wasn't that long ago, only 2,000 years. When you start going back generations, if you do family trees, you start to realize, you know, 2,000 years isn't that long of an amount of time. This really happened, and as you climb into the details and depict it, and scripture becomes alive to you, I think then Jesus becomes more alive to you in your everyday world. So as surely as you can see Jesus here teaching in this house, picture Jesus sitting with your family at Thanksgiving wanting to teach. It's true, he is present through his spirit. He promised that and we've shared on that some. But here are the details, packed house, hometown, lot going on people very inquisitive, beginning of Jesus' ministry, what's going to be happening? So many get people gathered there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached to them the word. Some men came bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Now, and here I go again, I'm stopping, right? So I'm, just Get reading on with the story, move along, Bowman, let's go. No, I want you to look into it some men came. We don't know what kind of men. Were these men friends of this guy who was sick? Were they just passers-by and he cried out and said, hey, could you help me go see Jesus? I think these men that are recorded here were friends of this guy. Now, I also then asked, well, why was the guy a paralytic? Why was he not able to walk around? Was it because A disease came along in his life. Maybe he had a car accident. Oh, they don't have cars. That's right. Maybe, you know, I fell off a horse, right? You know, I just ask all kinds of questions when I'm going to Scripture. Could he have uh, been looked down on by people in Capernaum as the guy who, well, he's probably a sinner. That's why he's crippled like that. People actually thought that. Some people think that today. What a hideous thought. That's not true. We live in a fallen world. Brokenness happens. Disease happens. Cardiac arrest happens, right? But here was an invalid, broken man, physically broken. And he had some compassionate friends, four of them. And they wanted to get him to Jesus. I don't know if they woke up that morning and said, hey, today is your day, big guy. We're going to get you to Jesus. And Jesus, said, I don't know, he's going to do something in your life. you know, Or did they just spontaneously, oh, something's happened there. And in the, in the paralytic calls, hey, can I go, guys? Somehow, he ends up getting put in, you know, you got this picture here of him sort of in a, in a, in a, in a, in a cloth kind of carrying bag or something. Maybe it was just a, a hard board. I don't know how they carried him. But it took four guys, four of his buddies. They just, they put him on the gurney, picked it up, and they hauled up, and they marched away, and they said, you know, we're going to go see Jesus, and Jesus is going to do something in our friend's life. Now, I have a lot of great appreciation for those kinds of friends. Are you one of those kinds of friends? When you see someone that you know, hurting and broken, that needs some help, you don't overlook them? I mean, this is like them going to a movie. Jesus was in town. Hey, I was all going to the movies. Let's see Jesus, whatever he's doing in there. Oh, that's right. We need to help you go. We need to help you go. And it's very difficult when you're a broken physical person to be dependent upon people. Right, Chaka? It takes takes challenging journeys right and you appreciate friends that are there you know she apologizes i didn't make it to prayer meeting this week because i didn't have a ride i'm like well we'll make sure we fix that next time you know and you know it's difficult and challenging i can't comprehend what it means to be uh, have a broken body that couldn't get around on its own and so you appreciate friends and maybe you have people maybe they're not broken physically but maybe they're broken spiritually maybe they're broken emotionally Maybe they just want to stay curled up in their bed in depression because something has been happening in their life. Do you know that Jesus wants to use you to minister his grace and mercy into their life, to be a stretcher bear? And so here's these four friends. They're the stretcher bears. They, they take this guy there, and they're just sort of bummed out when they show up. Why? Because you can't get through. Hey, 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 hey. I don't know if they tried to break through the mob but they couldn't even get close, packed way out the door. Well, the houses that day had what? Flat roofs. This wasn't a pointy roof, okay? And so they said, you know, we're going to go up on the roof. It's sort of their California room up there. And so we're going to go up the stairwell, and they were on the top, and they said, we're just going to dig right here. Can you picture them just sort of doing the measurements? Where, Where do you think he's at down there? Oh, he's about four feet from the west wall, you know? Oh, okay, here, measure up. I don't know how this, you know, these pictures, it's like, boom, it's just right there. So maybe Jesus is in the middle of the room, maybe not. And they start scratching, they start digging to tear through. Now, have you ever been in a house where you hear scratching in the walls or the ceiling? (laughs) It's quite a disturbing thing. I've had that. And it's usually an animal. Sometimes it's been a bird. Sometimes it's a mouse. Sometimes it's been a raccoon. You're going, what kind of houses do you live in in Indiana? Well, i just had some houses i needed to fix up we'll put it that way and so you know here's this scratching and they're thinking what's going on and and jesus like i'm not going to be distracted by the cell phones i'm just going to keep preaching right and so he just keeps preaching along but the scratching gets worse and before you know it some of the dust starts to fall and there's a little bit of light peering through and it starts to bother everybody like, what is going on up there but these friends were so determined to get their friend to jesus that they were going to do whatever it took to make sure that he was found right there in the presence of the one who could transform their friend's life. And all of a sudden, the hole starts to open up, and I can sort of picture the owner of the house going over there. Do I have insurance for this? I'm not sure that I do. Right? He's thinking, what's happening? The man is lowered right into the presence of Jesus. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus. After digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. Verse 5 is pretty incredible. When you think about all the drama, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. When Jesus saw their faith, it doesn't say when Jesus saw his need or when Jesus saw his brokenness or when jesus saw you know how everybody else was looking around as to what are you going to do jesus jesus immediately identified with this individual's faith and i believe it may not have been as much the individual's faith as it was the faith of the friends this is key you ever heard about you know, the whole intercessory prayer idea that I'm going to intercede with my faith. You ever been in a place broken, something's happening in your life, maybe it's happening this morning, and you just can't even pray for yourself. You're that busted up. And someone will come up and say, well, I'm going to be praying for you. Well, thank you. And sometimes that's a nice, kind gesture. Other people like, they really mean it. I'm going to be praying for you. Oh, thank you. Because I don't even know how to pray. I am. I'm going to intercede with my prayers. Well, sometimes it's not just prayer that we need to intercede with for others. Sometimes we need to intercede with our faith, because people just don't believe. Maybe this paralytic had had it. He says, you know, I've tried to go to all different kinds of doctors. Maybe it was a um, brokenness where he would had casts on or something. He says, I'm, I'm just done. I can't, I'm just stuck this way. And his buddies are like, no, you're not. Things can change in your life. You can be transformed. And so they intercede with their faith, and Jesus identifies with that issue in the heart. He was astounded by the faith. You ever wonder why Jesus didn't heal more? Like everybody came around, I can't comprehend this. You're God Himself. You're walking around, you know, and you see brokenness all around you. You see people that maybe have unclean spirits. You see people that need to be healed of diseases. You see people that are broken emotionally. Did Jesus just sort of like take a wand around and go zinger, zing, zing, zing? Hey, you, you, oh, look at that! All right, he didn't do that, did he? Could he done that? I suppose he could have done that, but it wasn't about the physical healing here or i believe in all of what jesus does on the external side sometimes it's about the faith issue and so he was drawn out by the faith of these people to act if you want jesus acting in your life to bring about change to bring about hope to work on behalf of people that you care an awful lot for even this very hour that don't want to have anything to do with god then I'm telling you, you need to lean in to a wholehearted belief and trust that God can act. Your faith becomes a conduit, if you will, for the hand of God to move. Now, I want to say something here real clear. Maybe I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. I do not believe in faith healing. My faith would not heal anybody. Jesus... The divine one can heal. So I believe in divine healing, but divine healing seemingly from Scripture is dependent upon our faith for it to become active. So I never get egocentric even if I'm praying over people. I am believing God to work because God wants to touch and change and transform lives. And when I pray especially for healing a lot of times, I don't pray. Please don't do this. If you do, I'm sorry if you're mad at me this morning. But don't be sheepish like you're trying to bail God out. Like, God, if it's your will, we're not sure if you want to do this or not. But, you know, maybe, well, you know, I don't want to, you don't need to get embarrassed, God, by this situation, but we're sort of here praying. That's double-mindedness. If you want the person to be healed, for the right reasons, for the glory of God, which is as, as even above and beyond the whole idea of being healed for the purpose of, you know, you want your friend healed for your own good. But if you pray and you believe in faith, that's what God responds to. If he doesn't heal, then that's not my deal. All right? And I don't need to be obnoxious about it. But I know that my faith is critical when I pray for someone. And I challenge you that way. If you're trying to help someone, if you're a stretcher, a carer of somebody, maybe you're getting weary, pray and believe. It doesn't have to be loud words. It doesn't have to be bombastic words. It doesn't have to be these you know nice, beautiful, esoteric kinds of words. Just pray with simple faith. Lord, I don't know. I don't know how it's possible, but I know that in you all things are possible. And so I pray, believing that you can make my sick person, my sick friend, well. And so Jesus responds to faith. This is really important. I believe it's important for us as a church. Jesus is going to respond to the faith that we have to be able to do his kingdom's work. Now, what happens? What does Jesus do when he responds to the faith? He says, He said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. (laughs) Now, I'm not quite sure of the backstory, right? Maybe the guy was like some big-time sinner. It was known that way. Maybe some people, like I said, were accusing him. He He was an invalid because of his sickness or because of his sin. But can you picture the guys looking down from the hole above, and Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, maybe they had that in mind. I don't know. But part of it, I would think, would be like, no, that's nice. But that's not, that's not why we went to work and dug through this whole, ripped this guy's ceiling off, Jesus. Hey, psst. you know, you, you heal him, get him, help him out. But the first thing he says is, son, your sins are forgiven. Know this, Jesus knows what the real need for all of us. These bodies are broken. They will one day, except for the Lord's return, be placed in the ground. And through Christ and his resurrection, we will be raised from the dead and we will have new bodies. But the only hope we have to be raised from the dead to live eternally with God himself is if our sins are forgiven. Because God cannot allow, excuse the crassness of the word, I guess, he can't allow any trash into heaven. His heaven's perfect. And so the sin condition has to be dealt with on behalf of the inhabitants of heaven. And Jesus knew the sin was encumbering him. The real bondage was not his physical condition. The real bondage was his soul condition. And so he said, son, your sins are forgiven. Okay, this started to stir. It'd be one thing if Jesus said, oh, it's so good for you. I'm going to pray for you, help you out a little bit here. Let me maybe help you up, see if you can walk or something like that. The whole miracle of the healing was... You know, something that could stand before them. But there was offense taken by that one statement, Son, your sins are forgiven. And why was there offense taken? Now some teachers, verse 6 of the law, were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? True. True. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit this was what they were thinking in their hearts. <sighs> Comprehend this again. Man comes down, crowds in awe. What's going on? Jesus says your sins are forgiven. All of a sudden, the rumblings from the elite crowd, the preachers over here, the pastors, are really bothered by this. It's like, and they weren't like, psst, psst, can you believe he just did that? He's, that's blasphemy. He can't, you can't, nobody can forgive sins but God. Right? Now, why was that true? Nobody can forgive sins but God. But it's true. Whoever, whoever um, is sinned against, it's that person that needs to forgive the one that sinned against them, right? And so, Jesus, why would Jesus say your sins are your sins are forgiven? Did did He even know this paralytic man? Did this paralytic man sin against Jesus? No, not in the earthly nature, but by His divine nature. We have all sinned, and our sin is against God. We're disobedient. Every man has sinned and gone his own way. And so our sin, though it may be sin externally or towards another person, ultimately is sin before God, and it's God who needs to extend the forgiveness. And so the reason it was blasphemous was because Jesus in that moment was declaring deity to forgive this person's sin. Someone else doesn't forgive the sins of other people that have offended you. That just would be wrong. And so they pss- pss- they weren't even... Pss- 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 they were thinking it in their head. And this is, I think it's sort of spooky in one sense. It's either good or bad. Jesus knew what they were thinking. Ooh, isn't that scary? Well, I want you to know this morning, it still stands true. This very moment, Jesus knows what you're thinking. That might make you want to get up and leave here this morning. But if you get up and leave here, he still knows what you're thinking in the parking lot. And when you get in the car, you can never, ever get away from God's presence. That's one real good reason to try to be reconciled to God because you might as well. He's he's there. He's wanting to bring you into a friendship, into a relationship, not in a, a mean, cruel way, but in a very deep, loving way. The God of the universe who created you wants to love you, wants to be in relationship with you. And he even can know our thoughts. I don't fully understand all the thoughts that Jesus particularly knew for him to become fully human, to become fully divine. In one essence, That's just hard for us human beings to comprehend. Part of that, becoming fully human, he had to give up some things kind of deal. But in this particular moment, he knew what they were thinking. And they thought they were being, you know, secretive in their thoughts. All of us know what it's like to critique something that's going on whether it's a movie whether it's a musical performance right whether it's somebody's work they're trying to do in your yard we can easily become critical sometimes cynical can you imagine the opposition jesus had at every turn with what he was doing by those who were threatened by his power and those who didn't fully comprehend that it was god himself who had to become the messiah to change the world Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, excuse me, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, take up, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. Now, this would be one of those jaw drop moments, wouldn't it? What I like about it is not only did Jesus heal the guy, he shut up the religious elite. He says, What do you think is easier to do? Say your sins are forgiven? Which is, wow, anybody of us could say something like that to really mean it and be able to have the power to do it. That would be another situation. But I don't know. It would be sort of easier to say, hey, your sins are forgiven, than to say, okay, get up out of that um, bed that you're in and walk. And so Jesus just confronts them head on. He confronts them head on with their prejudice. He confronts them head on with their lack of belief. He confronts them head on with their elitism. All right? Confronts them head on with their ignorance. I love that little story, and I wish I was there. But Jesus wasn't doing it for a show. And Jesus wasn't doing it just to put people in their place or to draw a crowd. Jesus acted here out of deep love and compassion for the person. Don't get caught up in the wrong reasons for doing ministry. Stay true to a broken compassion for people where they are. Yeah, put yourself in their situation, whatever it may be. And if something happens through your life in ministry, don't go around and start gloating on all of it. Just be thankful that the divine healing can happen through a faith initiative, whether that is a faith initiative to pray for physical healing or a faith initiative to provide for physical material well-being in somebody's life compassion led Jesus to act on the faith that these people brought on behalf of their friends and the paralytic himself. And in those moments, it crystallizes and something incredible happens. And you go, there's God. Our world needs to see those kinds of moments where they go, "Ah, there's God. And he wants to do it through your life and mine, together as communities and pockets of people, as we reach pockets of people this is the ministry that I want to challenge us to today. We've talked here about the Son of Man. It starts with the man. The man moves to a message. The message is the full gospel of the kingdom. The full gospel of the kingdom moves um, into the mission. All right? And the mission is about taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. And the mission can catapult into the ministry. And the ministry is the true labor of kingdom ambassadors like you and I. I love the last verse of this story. This amazed everyone. And what did they do? They praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. They praised God. They were still trying to figure out who Jesus was, but they knew what Jesus was doing was a result of God, and so their praise went back to the Father. Some of the most incredible moments of worship I've ever had is when I've seen Jesus touch the soul of an individual in repentance and they receive the forgiveness of their sins, wiped away. Clean. That's the greatest miracle in all this, you know, that sins can be forgiven. Can our memories be removed from our history? No, you can always grab a hold of a memory. But the brokenness and the pain and the guilt can be washed away by the blood of Jesus, the blood representing his life of what he eventually ended up doing on the cross and through the resurrection. Jesus is performing miracles today through changing lives that are wanting to turn to him. There's worship if you participate in that ministry. A couple other verses I want us to look at I want to give some personal challenge, and I want us to look at heading to the Lord's table. In Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, actually, it's on your note sheet. It's up here on the slide. It's actually referenced wrong. It's 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians, it says this, chapter 5, I want to look at verse 17 first. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Do you think the paralytic realized that? He was. He was a new man inside. He came with faith. And Jesus received him as his friend and gave him him forgiveness. And then Jesus touched and healed his life. He was truly a new creation when he walked down there that day. Can you see him walking out? You know, Jesus says, hey, take up your mat and go home. He rolls up his mat and he heads out. They all give him high fives. The guys from the top running down <laughs> i can't believe it that's so incredible jesus made him a new creation all this is from god who reconciled us to himself through christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that god was reconciling the world to himself in christ not counting men's sins against them and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's two phrases I want you to focus on here. One is he gave them the ministry of reconciliation. And the other is he committed to us the message of reconciliation. There's the ministry and the message, and together, as Christ ambassadors, this is what we do, these two things. Actually, if I can slip back to that prior slide that had the demonstration and the proclamation, I want to highlight this. What Jesus did with the paralytic was this. He said, sons, your sins are forgiven, which is the proclamation of the message of the gospel of the kingdom. Then he said, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. That was the demonstration of the Spirit's ministry. Jesus, for three years, did the ministry of the Father. But there was two components. There was a proclamation and there was a demonstration. And together, these go hand in hand in how we move forward as kingdom ambassadors. We proclaim the message of salvation through Christ and the kingdom of God. His reign is here at hand and will one day culminate. That full gospel of the kingdom like we talked about but as we do that, we're just not spouting words. We're actively physically doing the presence of Jesus in ministry. And it may be praying for somebody to be healed. Maybe they're healed. Maybe they're not. That's God's will. God determined. But we pray active in faith. I tell you, get up and take your mat and go home. That phrase is depictive of us caring for people and their physical needs and their conditions. And so it may be, a provider of taking somebody a meal because they 've been sick, maybe it's helping somebody out with a work project, maybe it's you know you know carrying on some type of good deed for a community service for a group of people i don 't know you you picture it, but what we do physically tangibly for people is part of this ministry, but it goes hand in hand with the message of reconciliation, so Jesus had the proclamation, the message of reconciliation, with the demonstration, the ministry of reconciliation. So then back to the 2 Corinthians um, uh, uh, 5 chapter, this is what we're called to do as kingdom ambassadors. Now, ambassadors is a pretty important job, isn't it? That whole Benghazi thing that happened a year ago, why was that such a, a, a terrible kind of crime? It's because our ambassador, an ambassador in the United States, was killed first time in how many years? Because an ambassador represents the authority, whether it's of a nation or even the guardian or whatever. An ambassador carries with them not their own authority, but the authority on one whom they, they are working for. So you and I are called here as ambassadors of the very Jesus who stood there healing the paralytic. And so then he sends us out to do the same thing, to do the proclamation of the kingdom message and the demonstration of the kingdom ministry. Now, I love this. We are therefore Christ ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Jesus says, "It's to your advantage, I go away. If I go away, I'm going to send the spirit and that very same spirit, my spirit's going to dwell within you and you're going to be my kingdom ambassadors and you're going to labor for the fields are wide into harvest and you're going to labor to bring people to Jesus. And if they have the faith, And if they want to follow Christ, their lives can be changed and transformed. Now, historically, the church has gone one of two directions in this whole message versus ministry, proclamation versus demonstration. There was a season in time where the proclamation of the gospel, we just need to share the gospel, share a plan of salvation, was prominent. And then there is a backlash against that. We need to help people and really care. There's justice and mercy needs that need to be taken on. And so then people just started doing the works of Christ. But, oh, we don't want to share any words because words are offensive. Well, you're right. The words are offensive because it's talking about the lordship of Jesus. And Jesus is a stumbling stone, scriptures say, because you're having to repent, give allegiance to Christ. And the sinful nature, that being yoked with that burden of slavery, we don't want to let go of that sinful nature and follow after Christ. So sometimes we just don't want to offend people. Oh, I to so on one hand, you have Christians that are just always out there preaching and preaching and preaching. They're a bunch of talking heads. Jesus combined his preaching, the proclamation of the message, with the demonstration of the ministry. Take up your mat and go home. So you don't want to be a talking head, but you don't want to be an empty head either. And an empty head is someone who's not articulating the message and the hope that we find in Christ. And somewhere with your own, can I encourage you this? God has made you with a unique personality. Some of you like to talk. Some of you don't like to talk. Some of you like to give, use your gifts of help. Some of you don't care about helping anybody maybe because it's just it's just work. You would rather do something else with your mind or something rather than do tangible things, right? You need to have a beautiful blend in your own personality, how God's made you. You have friends. You need to be stretcher bearers. And you need to dig through some holes in the roof to get your friends to Jesus. And through some type of balanced combination in the own way that God's wired you, bring the message of hope through the proclamation that sins can be forgiven, but also bring the demonstration of Christ's ministry in a tangible way. Take up your mat and go home. And as ambassadors, you're sent out from here today to do that. Why? Because Jesus, who you've already come to, if you're a believer this morning, wants to work in you and through you to do that on Christ's behalf. And if you've never crossed the line of faith to be a Jesus follower, guess what? Today would be a really cool day. We're here together, and we're just gathered, and all you have to do is, through your faith, offer your life to Christ and say, come into my life. I want you to be the one who forgives me of my sins and allows me to follow you even though I don't know all that means. It's a simple act of faith to turn and to follow Jesus. The second scripture comes out of Ephesians. The scripture you will find me using often over the course of time. It says this, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers, to equip his body for works of service. So the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Ephesians 4, through 13, I think, is very depictive of what we're to be doing as a body of believers. We've been given different roles and responsibilities, but why? To equip all of us for one thing, for works of service in the kingdom of God. The works of service are there for the taking we need to pray, dig out our ears, offer our hands humbly before the Lord, and say, use my life to carry people into your presence for you to touch. Who do you need to pick up, put them on your shoulders? Who do you need to drag out of bed, put them in a stretcher this week? You and I are gifted with the opportunity, whether in our workplaces, or neighborhoods, down the street or around the world, to be able to be Christ's ambassadors. The Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams, says this, quote, it's there on your note sheet. Rowan Williams says this, it's not the church of God that has a mission. It's the God of mission that has a church. That ties into last week. It's not our deal. It's God's deal. God is on mission, and he has a church. We are the agents. We are the ambassadors of his message and his ministry. I thrive with this reality week in and week out. I would get overwhelmed as a pastor if I think, oh my gosh, I gotta do it, I gotta get around to everybody, I have to be the chaplain. No. I'm called to equip you as the body to do two things. To bring the message of reconciliation and to bring the ministry of reconciliation to people. And guess what? That's your responsibility, too, to carry it, but to encourage one another. Because the one who's really the one leading this whole deal, God, it's his mission. And the God of mission, he has a church. It's not that we, the church of God, have a mission. We have to reverse it and see the beauty in it. I want to articulate four bullet points as it relates to the ministry aspect of us serving this mission of us going forward these four things will resonate as we grow deeper into an understanding and a study of what God's called us to do as a community of people the four words are these they apply to Christ and what he did the first is our ministry needs to be incarnational it was God himself in the flesh standing in that room with that paralytic Jesus came near we now step into Advent season we worship God with us that incarnational presence of Christ type of ministry we now bring to the world in need The second is it's transformational. There's a lot of people that believe that Jesus is true, but they've never experienced Jesus to be real. Maybe that's where you're at this morning too. Does he really touch people? Does he change lives? Does he give hope even in brokenness, even on a deathbed? My sister-in-law's father died on Thanksgiving Day. She's the only child of her family. Her dad died on Thanksgiving. Her mom died a few years ago. Neither one of them knew Christ, but thankfully when he passed away on Thanksgiving morning, he had crossed that line of faith, and he had experienced Jesus as being real. How important it is all the way through for us to understand that Jesus brings transformation. He just doesn't bring information or a nice creed. He changes lives. For some people, maybe you find yourself here this morning this way. You've been taught how to cope with your issues, but Jesus wants to heal you from those issues. We need to be about a serious business of reconciliation with the power of Christ working transformationally. So ministry is incarnational, it's transformational. Third, it's communal. Those four guys, can you see see them? See them looking down through that hole? How excited they were? We get to do this together, this thing called kingdom ministry. The people of Christ, locking arms, carrying people in stretchers, giving high fives, worshiping God because of the amazing things that he's done. Incarnational, transformational, communal, and finally, the word we used last week, missional. It's the purpose of Christ to forward the mission of his father, and that's why he came. We're going to approach the table. This communion table represents the presence of Christ. Not in some high church or Catholic kind of way of transubstantiation. We don't believe you pray over the elements of the bread and the the juice and, and all of a sudden it magically turns into the physical body of Christ. But we do believe there's something very special about these elements representing as symbols the work and the life of Jesus. Because the reality is Jesus is already in our presence in a tangible way through his spirit. We don't need to pray that his presence becomes tangible through a bread and a juice. He promised to send his presence and scripture says that. So when we come to the table, we come not coming to the presence. We bring the presence of Christ who dwells within us. And we come to the table in remembrance of all that he has done to bring the forgiveness of our sins and the transformation of lives. And so the Apostle Paul framed up the words of Jesus in 1 Corinthians 11. He said this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Another scene where Jesus is in the middle. It's not the Michelangelo thing, right? Everybody on one side of the table to take the picture kind of thing. They're just packed in a room sitting around a low table. He knew what was before him. He knew they didn't fully understand. And he picked the bread up. I don't know what it looked like, but he took it and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I think this bread represents well the ministry of Christ and the brokenness of his body shared for us. And then after he took the bread, he, he took the cup A much smaller cup than this, of course. And he said, this represents my blood of the new covenant. My life poured out for the hope and the forgiveness of your sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And so he took the bread and he took the cup. And he crystallized in a moment his work that he came here to do. And so 2,000 years later, We come and we remember him around a table such as this, not as a ritual and a routine, but we come to give our thanksgiving to the Lord for what he's done. We come to give our praise to God for the healing of broken lives. And we come this morning, and maybe this is you, we come for him to make us whole. It's an overwhelming thought every week as I pray for the body and I come. I don't know everything that's going on, but Jesus does. And if you're a broken soul today, you can come to the table. You can come to his presence, and he can begin ministering his compassion and love to you. I'm going to ask Chris to come back, and we're going to go into a period of worship here. This period of worship, it is about, hey, get the elements done, and let's get out of here. This is about you being found in the presence of Christ. This is your time of worship. This is maybe your time to receive ministry from the Holy Spirit, maybe ministry from a friend or a family today. We're going to maybe do it in a way that maybe you've not done before, but we're going to break a piece of bread off. You're going to be able to come as individuals or couples, family units in your time. We're just going to have an extended season of worship here. And you're going to take the body that was broken for you and you're going to dip it in the juice representing the blood that was shed for you. And you can take this morsel and you can go around the curtain to the back, go back to your seat as the Lord would so lead. And these are your sacred moments to thank God. The same Jesus that said to that paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Says to you, thing And then you choose to take it when you want to take it in remembrance of him. These are sacred moments. Maybe you need to grab some friends, maybe your family, and just circle up and pray and thank Jesus. Some of the most precious moments because I'm missing my family. that I've had is in a church service such as this, to have my family come and get the bread. And we just sit down on the floor. We teach our kids about communion. And we just pray in those moments. So I want to talk about the blood washing away our sins. I'm going to ask Ryan Olson if he would come and pray for the elements. And then I'm going to just let you worship as you feel that you don't need to come and build a big line or anything. Just come. We'll be spending about 10 to 15 minutes just in worship. These are your moments in the presence of the Lord. There's tables at both sides. Come as the Lord leads. Ryan, would you pray for us?